I want you to help me welcome all of our family at our Athens campus. Come on, tell Athens good morning. Athens, we love you. Pastor Chris and Amy, Pastor Devin and Ingrid, the entire family there, we love you. We celebrate what God is doing in Athens. I get just overwhelmed with Thanksgiving every week when Pastor Chris tells me of the miracles, the salvation, the power of God that's touching lives there. We celebrate that. We're thankful for it. We have some very special friends with us today from just up the road in Nashville, Tennessee at the Great Harvest Church there. I want you to help me welcome Pastor Scott and Sarah McLeod. Would you help me do that? They're on the front row with Devin and I. We honor both of you. God bless your family. And uh, we had the privilege of having dinner last night for, uh, for some time and just talked about the faithfulness of our God and the goodness of the Lord. He truly is a good God. Why are you standing before I get into this message? I want to say a couple of things pastorally. We are in a tumultuous season right now. And much of what we're dealing with in our nation is political in nature. And I am not here today to be political. I'm here today to be pastoral and even prophetic by the grace of God. I want to remind the body of one thing. Elections come every four years. Jesus is a king forever. This nation, I don't care who the president is in several weeks. It really, to me, I want you to understand that when it's all said and done, the kingdom of God still has a responsibility to be advanced and the gospel to be preached. And I'm going to say this to you today. The enemy will use social media in this moment to bring a hurt and a pain in the body of Christ that will take months and years to heal after this election is over if we're not careful. I'm not talking about telling the truth. I'm not talking about putting a lid on your right to free speech. I am asking you as a spiritual leader, I hope in your life, to remember and recognize that there is no man on this earth, or woman for that matter, that is worth you and I dividing our heart over and not walking forward together. Paul said, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's a reason why he said endeavor. Because in moments like this, it takes some work. And there are, some, there are some people in here, the most spiritual thing we can do in the next couple of weeks is erase posts that we were getting ready to send and delete some comments that we probably shouldn't have made. Because I'm going to tell you right now, in my opinion, and I pray for both candidates because both need prayer. And no one is perfect and neither are the Messiah and neither are my Savior. And since Jesus is not on the ballot, I'm going to be accountable to God for how I vote, and I'm going to be as accountable to God for how I treat you in this process. So my admonition to the body today in love is to love one another, and do not let an agenda or a political party divide you because the kingdom will be here long after these two parties are gone. And the church said amen. Now you say, why do you have to say that? Because most people today will preach a message, hard right or hard left. I pastor Democrats and Republicans. 
And you say, Pastor Kevin, what does that matter? The kingdom is more important to me than making a statement that alienates people who need Jesus in this building. Amen. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm not here today to represent a party. I'm here to represent a kingdom. And I got news for everybody in this room, no matter where you came from, no matter who your mama and your daddy are, we even like all flavors and cultures and colors. We celebrate diversity in this room. And at the end of the day, we're going to preach a kingdom that will never fail and a king who was not elected. Now, I might just get a little bit excited right here. He was an elected king or voted king or selected king. He was born a king. He'll be king when every other king is dead and in a tomb. Jesus will still be the king. And I want us to keep that in our hearts and minds as we move this whole thing forward. Because if we get our eyes off of this moment, and, and the prize in this moment is revival. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what's next is revival. I didn't ask it like a question like, what's next? I'm telling you what's next. What's next is revival. You say, Pastor, I don't see how it's coming. The Bible said that darkness is a prerequisite for the light. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And I don't know how dark you think it is, but it's pretty dark where I've been looking. It's a really good time for light to show up on the scene and explode in glory. I just believe God's got the best wine saved for last. And this thing is not going to end up with a church in a cave talking about the Antichrist. This thing is going to end up with Jesus being exalted and lifted high and our lost sons and daughters coming home. We're not crossing the finish line saying farther along we'll know all about it. We're, we're crossing the finish line saying look what the Lord did in our generation. Come on somebody. So if you came into this house Expecting someone to stand up in this pulpit and to stroke your political ego and to make you feel good about whoever it is you got in mind. I'm telling you right now, we need to pray for everybody involved, read the Bible, and go vote like the Bible said we ought to vote, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Somebody say amen. amen. Luke 22. Man, I got more I want to say. It's just probably not wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Luke 22. This is it. I just want to say this today. I'm not going to be long with you. This is a pretty heavy word. Has nothing to do with what I just talked about. It's just what God said to me. I wanted something else today. I really wanted a pre-Ruach, and if you're not registered for Ruach and you want to get in on this powerful move of God, you need to be here. Uh, it is almost full, and it's going to be incredible this week. I wanted a pre-Ruach me pre message. You say, what is Ruach? It's the breath of God. We need the breath of God right now. And I wanted to preach a pre-Ruach message that would just, you know, like this, but I really felt the Lord lead me to this assignment today. It's just going to be a few minutes. Um, I want you to look at Luke 22, verse 1. I want to preach a message today called Betraying Jesus. Betraying Jesus. Luke 22, verse 1, when you got it, say amen. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. 
And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus. The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus. For they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, who was surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he sent, so he went his way. Someone say his way. And he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought, everyone say sought, an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of the multitude. Betraying Jesus. Help me, Lord, today. God, and shape the words that I speak and lead me into a place where the anointing of God that you have given me, it came from you, Lord, is able to touch the hearts of the people today. Let chains fall off, shackles be broken, yokes be destroyed by the anointing. I pray today for, I felt so strongly today, Lord, was a day of interception. That you are going to intercept some enemy plans. Plans to deceive and destroy people. For the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, you've come into this room today to give life. And I thank you today that the enemy's plan and mission will be aborted. It will not prosper. So help me today to expose every work and diabolical plan of the enemy, every scheme of Satan be exposed so that the people of God could be freed. In Jesus' name and everyone that loves him said amen. amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. What I am most amazed about as I follow the story of Jesus through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the way in which Jesus shared the kingdom. I suppose if we were Jesus or someone we knew were Jesus, we would come with the power in which he came and the authority in which he walked on earth and we would somehow use that power, that authority for our own fame and for our own glorification. Certainly if anyone was worthy of the glory and the honor, it was our Lord. But as I read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I am overwhelmed at how Jesus invited common everyday people to be a part of expanding his kingdom. He did not run to the temple. He did not run to all of the religious high places to look for those who were most polished and those who had all of their religious act together. He didn't build his team with the greatest spiritual minds of his day. He actually went to a lake and a fishing dock and started building his team with a group of fishermen. He walked by a tax collector's booth and called a man named Matthew, the son of Levi, told him to follow him and he would make him fishers of men. When Jesus walked the earth, he never sought the glory for himself. He never sought the honor for himself. In fact, Jesus was very different than us. He dodged glory. He dodged the crowd as much as he could when they began to elevate him and talk about how awesome he was. He would always deflect and give the glory to the Father. 
And when he could have come and built a team on his own and walked this earth in his own authority and his own power and done what nobody else could do, instead of doing it on his own, he shared the advancing of the kingdom with a group of 12 men. This was a ragamuffin, dirty dozen crew, as it were. I mean, if I'm going to build my team, I'm going to get the astute, the educated, the affluent, the, the influencers of the day. I'm going to do what I can when I build my team to get the greatest that I can possibly get. Jesus, however, and I'm thankful for this because it's true of me and I think it's true of all of us. Jesus often looked beyond uh, what was evident and what was just there in front of him. And instead of seeing the mess that Peter was and the doubter that that Thomas was and, and the issues and Simon the zealot and all of these different kinds of personalities that would have probably caused me to step back and, and not choose them. Jesus often had a way of looking beyond the surface and seeing the diamond that was inside the soul that he had called. And I'm thankful today that Jesus, when he invites people to share in the advancing of his kingdom, he doesn't go looking for the most affluent. I'm thankful for the affluent. We need influencers in this hour. But when Jesus goes and does a work in life, he often chooses, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He reminds the church at Corinth that there were not many wise among you. There were not many affluent among you. There weren't many rich and wealthy and you, you hadn't arrived in this world's eyes but he didn't choose you because of what you brought to the table he cho chose you even knowing your weakness not looking for those who were strongest but being satisfied to call those who were weak knowing that in our weakness he would get the glory when he worked through the life of a broken soul if you're in this room today and you feel jacked up and you feel messed up from the chest up and tore up from the floor up I just have some good news for you today. It is very likely Jesus came to put his hand on your life and to tell you despite what you came out of, despite what tried to kill you, despite what you were addicted to and how broken you were, he's got a plan for I know the thoughts I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you a hope and a future. Why don't you give someone near you an air high five and tell them, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your life. Your mama can't believe it. Your ex-girlfriend can't believe it. Your ex-husband can't believe it. But I came to tell you that when God puts his hand on you, he'll jerk you out of the darkness you were stuck in. He'll put your feet on solid ground and he'll make you a testimony for his glory. This is the story of the 12. Not that they had arrived. Not that they were strong and the greatest among their peers. In fact, I almost find it strange and comical that a carpenter looked at a group of fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot and a couple of mama's boys and he says two words that changed the trajectory of their life. Follow me. And they said, okay, and they sell, and they get rid of, and they pack up everything, and they follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Can you imagine? Imagine following Jesus. As he walked through the streets of Capernaum. Imagine following Jesus. 
As he steps out on the bow of a boat in the middle of a storm, it says, peace. And the winds laid down and went to sleep, and the winds ceased their raging. Imagine following Jesus. As he takes Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and heals her of the fever, and immediately she jumps up and serves the people in Peter's house. Imagine following Jesus as he's walking through the streets and he's on his way to Jairus' house and while he is approaching Jairus' house, imagine following Jesus when a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years pressed her way through the crowd and reached up and grabbed the hem of his garment and when she touched, you said, why the hem? Because when she touched the hem of his garment, what she really grabbed was the tallit in, in, in the end of his prayer shawl. And, uh, pardon me, it was the tallit that was the prayer shawl. It was the tzitzit. It was the little strings that hang off the end of the prayer shawl that she grabbed. And why would she grab those? Because she had read in Malachi that the son of righteousness was rising with healing in his tzitzit, in his wings. When she grabbed those strings hanging off of his prayer shawl, she wasn't just grabbing the hem. Those tzitzit had knots, and the knots represent the promises of God. When she grabbed the hem, go, imagine following Jesus when that woman grabbed a hold of the promise of God, wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquity, the chastisement of my peace is upon him and by his stripes if I can ever touch him, I know 12 years, doctors and lawyers and I gave all my money away and got no better but rather got worse, but if I can touch him, everything would be or imagine following Jesus when he went into the city of Nain and they were coming out carrying a dead boy and Jesus collided with that funeral procession touched the coffin the boy was in immediately he stood up and began to speak and the whole city of Nain started following Jesus imagine following Jesus as he told Peter who needed money to pay the tax bill go fishing and he throws out the line reels in a fish opens its mouth and there in the mouth of the fish was enough money to pay the tax bill. Imagine following Jesus when he stood on a Galilean hillside with 5,000 men and women and children and they were all hungry and nobody knew how they were going to be fed. He said, do we have anything? They said, all we have is a little fish and chips meal, five loaves, two fish that this boy brought. He said, bring me what you have. Imagine following Jesus when he lifted up the five loaves and two fish in the midst of such a multitude instead of having a nervous breakdown he said father I thank you for what I have and when you're thankful for what little bit you got God will multiply the little bit and feed the multitude he'll bless you so much that you'll have 12 baskets left over imagine following Jesus imagine following Jesus But imagine following Jesus, seeing all the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, and being neutral in your heart regarding who he is. I don't think Judas was initially an enemy of Jesus. I, I don't think Judas was initially an adversary. I just think Judas was neutral. 
Now, let me talk some, some people in neutral. Jesus said it like this in the book of Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Because at least if you're cold, I know how to deal with you. At least if you're cold, I know what I got to do for you. It's those people that live in that lukewarm, neutral place. Not hot enough to really be passionately serving Jesus, but not cold enough because you, you, you get close enough to him for him to warm you up a little bit, but you never get close enough to him so that the fire in his eyes jumps in your soul. Imagine being neutral. Just passive. Close enough to see the blind eyes open. Close enough to see the lame legs walk. Close enough to see God do miracles in Chattanooga. But never fully in the fire. Neutral. I'm talking to some young people today. I feel like preaching right now. I'm talking to some young people today and some, some people that we call, you know, that generation. I don't even know what letter we're on now. X, Y, Z, A, A, whatever generation. I'm talking to young people who have enough affection for the world that it just, you, 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 you know Jesus and you like Jesus and you probably sometimes love Jesus, but the world has a way of just keeping a hook in your jaw. And Sunday morning you run to see Jesus, but Monday morning you run to the world. Neutral. You say, Pastor, why do you got to be so old-fashioned? I'm not trying to be old-fashioned. In the midst of a crazy, chaotic world that is flowing against everything we believe this book teaches, we must be reminded that a neutral heart, a heart that is passive and apathetic and indifferent, is the greatest threat to the advancing of the kingdom of our Lord. Christians with no zeal, no passion, no fire. I'm telling you, my biggest problem is not, my biggest problem is not running in the streets of America. My biggest problem is not the evil that Hollywood is trying to cram down our throat. Our biggest issue is an apathetic, indifferent church that's close enough to the fire to know what it looks like, but not in the fire to know what it feels like. I don't want us just to know about Jesus. Oh God, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering God church we're not called to be members of a church that sit on a pew and warm it till the Lord comes we're called to be lovers of the Lord head over heels in love with him not because we have first loved him but because he first loved us that's why I'm here today nobody made me come I wanted to come I need him in my life and I want to get close to him again Judas was chosen, and he followed Jesus through all of those three years of ministry. And you can see little glimpses of Judas' issue when the woman broke the box of worship. I would think the 12 would have found their own box, broke their own box, and started worshiping with the woman. Not Judas. Judas is not impressed by the aroma. Judas is frustrated that she wasted such precious oil. Do you know how much that cost? See, this is 
the problem with people who are indifferent. They misjudge worshipers. Lord, help me today. Judas will always question the cost of the worship you pour out. Have you ever sat by a Judas? Don't, no, not today. I, I don't want you to get nervous. The person beside you today is certainly not a Judas, right? Yes, no, no, no. But in church before, have you ever sat beside somebody who didn't understand the tears? Who didn't understand the dancing and the jumping and the circles and, and they didn't understand the flag waving and they don't understand why we have painters on the stage and they don't understand why people come up and dance and they dance like they lost their mind and most of them have no rhythm and we don't really care because they're not dancing to your tune. They're dancing to the rhythm of grace and what they feel down on the inside is not something you produced. In fact, you weren't even there the night he found them. They didn't even come to church to impress I don't know who I'm preaching to but I want to notify the spirit of Judas that you will not talk me out of lifting my hands and you will not talk me out of shouting with the voice of triumph and you will not intimidate me with your long religious look because you don't know what it feels like to be rescued you can't possibly understand my worship if you weren't there the night he brought me out you would never understand my praise look at somebody tell them I don't know if you understand this but I've got to give him praise when I think about the goodness of the Lord and all that God has done for me. My soul cries. Hallelujah. <laughs> Judas shows us hints of his heart and the condition of his soul throughout the journey. And we come to this, I'm already here. That was all the introduction. I'm almost through. We come to this 22nd chapter of Luke. It is the week of Passover. Our Lord is about to die. And I am amazed. That while the outsiders, the religious people, are the ones who wanted to kill him, it was the indifference of a man on the inside that made it possible. Judas had a neutral heart. It wasn't that he hated Jesus. If he hated him, he would never have followed him. It's that he followed him. But in his following Jesus, he kept a space open for the enemy to fill. I want to give you three clues that let you know you're on the road to betray Jesus. They're very clear and they're from scripture. These are not my thoughts. I think the text bears out what I'm getting ready to say. Number one, when Satan came into Judas' heart, and that phrase alone freaked me out this week. You, you, you mean after three years, 
quick Satan took over? I don't think that's what happened. That's my point in this entire message. It's not that in one fell swoop Satan deceived Judas and Judas got deceived into letting Satan in. I just think Judas kept Jesus out of every place in his heart. Maybe he let him in a part of it, but there was some place in Judas' heart not filled with Jesus, and Satan exploited that place. And Satan entered Judas' heart, and three things happened, and I want to wake someone up today by the precious spirit of grace. I want to wake someone up today and say, don't betray Jesus. We have time now to abort that mission. It is not too late for someone in this room to say, I've been doing this and I've been going this way, but today I'm, I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to repeat Judas' error. I'm, I'm going to make sure he, Jesus has all my heart. Number one, when Satan entered the heart of Judas, the text says very clearly in verse number six, Pardon me, in verse number four, so Judas went his way. Doesn't sound so dangerous, does it? That Judas went his way? The problem is this. You can only choose one way. There aren't multiple ways and multiple options to eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way. In fact, I was reading in Proverbs this, this uh, week as I was studying for this sermon, and there's a scripture over in the book of Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. This is a very, this is a very sobering passage. I hope you hear it through the lens of love in which I am trying to, to speak it to you today. But Proverbs says there is a way that seemeth right to a man or a woman, but the end of that way is a way of death. I don't know how that makes you feel, but it is sobering to think that a person could actually program their mind to believe that they are walking in the right way only to wake up one day and realize that they did not choose God's way, they chose their way. And there is this concoction, this alloy of Christianity. It is not pure Christianity. It is a concoction, a mixture, an alloy of following Jesus that is resident in this this nation today and if the church of the Lord is not careful we will bite into this lie that there are multiple ways to God let's all hold hands with religious plurality and sing kumbaya in the name of ecumenicalism and by doing that we will lose our soul I am not trying to be some dogmatic blinded religious ite that has a that has a problem with with, 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 with knowing um, the, the, the way of, of love for all people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just telling the saints of God today you and I don't get to choose different ways to God. If you choose your way your way will lead to death. There's deception attached to your way. There, 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 there's a bunch of lies attached to following your way. But there is a way. In fact he is the way, the truth and the life. And if you ever get on that way you'll never have to worry about losing your soul because in Christ I'm thankful today that what he started in me he will finish in me and I'm going to keep my heart fixed on him 
If you're in this room today and the Lord is not calling the shots of the way you take, your soul is in danger. Why be so dramatic? I'm not being dramatic. Do you understand that when they launch, when they launch a spaceship into outer space, they have to the degree the trajectory of that spaceship aligned to the degree, to the inch. Why? Because if you're one degree off on planet Earth and you shoot that rocket up into the sky, what is only one inch off in this atmosphere in which we live, when it enters into space, it can miss its intended target by miles and miles. One inch. Please hear me. This message pastorally is not intended to cause fear. It's intended to cause an inspection of our hearts. This is a real simple thing, and it's, it's real easy to identify whose way you're following, and it's very simple to fix it, in fact. You want to know if you're following your way? When's the last time you woke up and say, Lord, I give you this day? When's the last time you woke up and said, today order my steps? Or let me reverse it. When's the last time you wanted to give someone a piece of your mind and Jesus helped you to not do that? We're living in that moment, that season even now. It's like toothpaste. Before they had these cute little things that sat up on a hard bottom, they had these tubes. I dare you to go buy an old-fashioned tube of toothpaste, squeeze out the toothpaste, and put it back in there. It's impossible. Which is exactly like the words you speak and the choices you make. You squeeze it all out, and if you're not careful, you'll make a mess that you can't clean up later. Are you choosing your way? The whole issue of discipleship, in fact, the word disciple or servant literally means the one whose will has been swallowed up by the will of another. I have a will, but because I am a bond servant and a love slave of Jesus Christ, I don't get to execute my will. My spirit has been surrendered to him. His spirit lives within me. And if I listen to his spirit, I will show love when I want it to show revenge. I'm not getting any help today. I want you to know that your way will always take you to places you didn't bet on going. Your way will lead to places that will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Judas reveals that he's going to betray Jesus because he follows his own way. Number two, in the fifth verse, it says, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. Pardon me, back up to the fourth verse. He went his way and conferred. One translation says conferred. One translation said that he had communion with. 
you know that you are on your way to betraying Jesus when you befriend his enemies in ways that cause deep communion and one translation even said they covenanted. That's a heavy word. Covenant? I would, I, first of all, I want to make sure I'm clear. There is an evangelistic love quality in all of us that causes us to love our neighbor whether they are saved or lost. In fact, I don't know that you can call yourself a church if you're not winning the lost. Okay, maybe some of y'all disagree with that notion. I think the church is evangelistic in nature. Right? I believe that we're called to be salt of the earth, salt that can be tasted and light that can be seen. There should be some quality about our life that makes people who don't know the love of Jesus want what we have and what we've been demonstrating. So I, I have friends that are lost people. You should too. Let me just set something straight for a moment, please. If everybody in your group looks like you, if everyone in your group dresses like you, if everyone in your group votes like you, and if you're the smartest one in your group, you need a new group. You need to expand your horizons. You need to be a person who understands that as salt and light in the earth, you've been assigned to win people who don't look like you, didn't come from where you came from. Listen, if Jesus is real enough for you to shout and roll in the floor and speak in tongues and, you know, mascara going everywhere and weaves laying in the floor and we've had a, you know, we got, we got blasted by the goodness of God. If he is that good, and I know he is, then he ought to be good enough for you to tell people outside these four walls how good he's been. There ought to be some quality in your life where people see the goodness of God. So I believe in evangelism. Jesus was a friend to sinners. Well, I'm called to the nations. If you can't talk to your neighbor, you're not qualified to go to nations. There is a difference between being evangelistic and loving people, even lost people, and you should love them deeply and love them well. But when children of God make alliances with evil people and endear themselves to the enemies of our Lord and Savior, we should be careful about that. There's a difference between friendship and fellowship. I'm friends with a lot of people, but I don't get into fellowship with everybody. Because fellowship is deeper than hey. See, I, I made a friend at the football game yesterday. I went to watch the balls get obliterated by the Kentucky Wildcats. And y'all should be thankful for the Holy Ghost because you were about to get a different kind of pastor this morning. Yesterday at 5 o'clock, my sanctification was running very thin. I, I went and watched this game, and, 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 and I'm sitting there, and I meet a guy next to me. He's had at least nine beers. I mean, he was feeling good about life. He didn't care about the election. He didn't even care that he was Kentucky Wildcat, and I was a Tennessee fan. Hey, brother. 
That might be what's wrong with some people. They just, never mind. I'm, okay. We were friends. But we didn't get fellowship. Why? Number one, I didn't know him. And number two, you have to be careful what you connect to. And especially young, developing Christians. I hope this doesn't sound regimented and old-fashioned, but it, it, it's impossible for me not to feel that way when I preach this. But, but listen to me, sisters, please. I know there may be exceptions, and people tell you those exceptions, and they have anecdotal proof that what I'm getting ready to say is not accurate, but I want you to hear me. Please, 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 don't anoint yourself a missionary dater If he's not wanting to come to church with you now, now, I know, that, listen, again, I will confess to you that there is anecdotal proof that what I'm saying is not conclusive, and I'm willing to agree with that. But by and large, if he doesn't love Jesus now, and you do, then you should probably push pause on talking about your ring size and where you want to go to Cabo for your honeymoon. Well, but he loves me. He doesn't even know what love is. If he's never been to the cross to find true love, it would be impossible for him to know sacrificial love in the way that he needs to know it to make a lifelong commitment to stay with you forever. Oh, if I had time. Well, you know what? I'm preaching. I guess I do have time. Do you know that, that, that when you get a yoke of oxen, every yoke has two nooses in it? that you put the head of the oxen through and then they tighten it and they have two oxen with a wood thing hanging on their back and, uh, and, their, and their head is going through this piece of wood. I wish I had it because I sound like uh, a kindergartner trying to tell you how to build a car. But the reality of it is it's a piece of wood and you put your head through one and you put the other ox head through the other and you have this, you have this yoke of oxen and one is the lead ox and one is called the dumb ox. And the lead ox takes you wherever he wants to go. And the dumb ox simply has to follow. And in the church, I want you to be real careful that you don't get in a yoke with a dumb ox that doesn't know where to go and doesn't know how to pull a load and doesn't know how to pray through and doesn't, come on, if you're going to raise kids, you need more than a video game controller in your hand. You need somebody that's going to dedicate themselves to the altar of God, go to the house of God, pay tithe to God and give everything they have to God. And I say this and they take these blurbs and they make me look like some kind of imbecile, but you would be amazed at how many people we have to counsel in a marriage they never should have gotten into. Don't commune and covenant with the enemy of God. It cost Ahab his throne. You and I should be cautious and careful. Amen? Finally, and I'm done. Verse 6. He sought an opportunity. Bron, help me. He sought an opportunity 
to betray. Everyone say betray. That sounds horrific, and it is, but do you know what the word betray means in the Greek? It literally means this, to deliver Jesus, to get rid of him. That's what the word betray means. In the Greek, it literally means just to say, you can have him. And this is what I am, I am grieved and struck by all in the same moment. Of all the things that Judas could have sought, he sought an opportunity to give Jesus away. That same word, sought, is used in Matthew chapter 6 when it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the first the kingdom of God. That, that same word, Matthew, pardon me, Luke chapter 12, that same word seek is used in Matthew chapter 6 when it said, ask and you, sh ask and you shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. All of these places in the New Testament where we're invited to seek things. Seek first the kingdom. Seek God while he may be found. And of all the things Judas could seek, I want to play and sing, Lord, I give you my heart. That's the song the Lord put on my heart. Thank you. Of all the things Judas could seek, he sought for an opportunity to get rid of Jesus. What are you seeking today? What are you doing with your time? You say to me, Pastor Kevin, I love Jesus, and I will tell you, that what you spend your time pursuing proves what you are passionate about. Judas sought, looked for, investigated, spent his time trying to find the right way to get rid of Jesus. Jesus comes into the Last Supper and the room is filled with the 12 disciples. The table is set with the wine and the bread. And if you keep reading on in chapter 22, he says, but there is one who is here with me now My betrayer is at hand. Verse 22, and truly the Son of Man goes that it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is given away or betrayed. Now he tells the 12, my betrayer is at hand. He's in the room. Listen to this. If you hear nothing else I say, please listen to what I'm getting ready to tell you. He says, my betrayer is in the room. And what do the 12 do? What do they ask? Is it I? That tells me two very important things. Number one, Judas hid the fact that he had the devil very well because they could not figure out who it was. And you might think, Judas, when Satan entered Judas, Judas looked like a red-eyed, red-faced, demonic presence. No, he looked just like Judas. He looked so much like Judas that when Jesus said, my betrayer's in the room, everybody looked at themselves and they looked at Judas and they didn't think for one moment it was Judas because Judas didn't look different. Why are you saying that? 
Because you'd be amazed at how many people can be sitting in church looking like they know Jesus, but in their heart they've let Satan enter in. And the second thing that that text tells me, not only does it tell me Judas hit it well, it tells me that there was enough evil in each of the 12 disciples that they really thought it could be me. And woe be unto us if the Lord were to walk in this room today and said, my betrayer is at hand. Woe be unto me if I'm so arrogant to think that there isn't flesh and weakness in me that could pull me away from him. That's why the Bible says in the book of Galatians that when a man or woman fall, you who are spiritual, restore them. How? In a spirit of meekness. Why? Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. What does that mean? It simply means that when my brother and sister falls, I don't think I'm so high and mighty that I I would never fall. I actually examine my own heart. Is there a betrayer in Kevin? Is there some part of my heart that wants to get rid of Jesus? This is a heavy message, I know. But I'm going to end with some tremendous news. Thank you, Father. Mercy is in the room today. Grace is among us today. And if you have turned your back or turned your heart away from the Lord, if you've been seeking ways to get rid of Jesus, if you went your own way, if you've communed with the enemy, if you've come into unholy alliances, if your life is full of depression and heaviness, if, if, you're, if you've been running with those people who want nothing to do with Jesus, if you feel yourself getting further away from God, he came today to intercept the plan of the enemy and to let somebody know you haven't gone too far. Lord, I give you my heart. This is the key. I give you my soul. I want to live for you alone with every breath that I take. Oh, God, every moment I'm awake, have your way. Can we sing that? Can you stand with me before we go home? Can we, we who want him to have all of us, not be neutral? Now, we'll pray for people in just a moment, and I, I just want you to give me five more minutes, and we'll be done. But if you just want to reaffirm your love for him in this moment, can worshipers just lift their hands and sing that chorus? Lord, I give you my heart. Come on. I give you my soul, I live for you alone.